Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of Referees The Final Whistle podcast with myself and Canavan from the Referee Forum and I am joined once again by the inimitable David Gerson. You know him better as Refs Need Love 2 from TikTok. Gerson, it's great to have you back on the pod. And it is absolutely wonderful, Bill, to be here. I am thrilled to have this conversation again. Our last one was fantastic. I doubt this one will be any less. <laughs> I thought you would say, I doubt this one will be. <laughs> that last one, we left it all out there. There was nothing else left to give. That one happened uh, ju- just before um, England played the USA in the mm-hmm. World Cup, if you remember. Right. And, we, yes. and we were talking, you were very, you know, oh no, it's not going to be. And it was a two-all draw, as far as I remember. And I was like, I told you, told you it was going to be a, yeah, England weren't going to batter anyone. It wasn't our World Cup. It was a weird one to have in the middle of the season. The Women's World Cup that's going on now uh, is happening in the summer and that's the right time to have a, a tournament like this, mm-hmm. which which is great. Speaking of tournaments, um, there's a, a little mini Premier League tournament happening in the United States mm-hmm. at the moment. I don't know if you've seen this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a couple of our referees out there, Peter Banks and Rob Jones. Yep. Uh, and some footage that has come back from that uh, has been Peter Banks has been wearing a camera whilst refereeing. Right. Uh, and and it gives a unique insight and perspective into anybody that's watching um, from a referee's angle. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I love it. I, I love it. I, I think, obviously, I, I mean, you can see in the picture, I'm a former rugby player, uh, so I completely appreciate the the benefit of getting those views of the video actually on the pitch and actually hearing the conversations that will happen between the referee and the players and sometimes the players to each other. I mean, I think it just brings uh, the, the, the play into someone's living room, but also provides a whole different look at what the referee is trying to see on the pitch to be able to make a decision. I love it. No, I agree. Um, obviously, there are body cam trials happening in the United, uh, sorry, in England specifically at the moment, in four of our counties, where it acts as a deterrent for abuse and that sort of thing. So that's one side of it. But the other side is obviously this entertainment and broadcast perspective, which I think, you know, do you think it should happen more? Do you, would you like to see this rolled out to to more more broadcasts in football? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the way of the world of just transparency and reality in the room and being closer and closer to the play. Uh, I think, again, it's going to change the perception of the referee on the pitch to see what they're seeing at field level. It is so easy for the spectators and fans at home to be watching, you know, at a, a 50,000 foot view almost, I mean, it's really, you know, up in the gantry and looking down at 20 different angles at 50 frames a minute or something at nature. It is just completely different when you're actually on the field game speed with the angle that they have completely changes perspective. I think there'll be more empathy for uh, the referee. If we had those angles, I'd like to think that there would be more empathy for the referee and maybe there'll, uh, there'll be a, you know, some people that will see it from that perspective and have the empathy. But I also think, it might be used as a, a weapon against referees to say, well, look, even his body camera courts, what we all think should have been a penalty or a red card or whatever, and the referee still didn't take that particular path. Right. Of- can it get any worse? <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, can it get any worse for us? I don't know. I think this would be a step in the right direction. I mean, of course, yes, no, I, I'm worried about that as well, that, you know, gets caught from the ref's body cam. Like, how did you not see that trip? Well, again, you know, 
you are seeing this. My head was, you know, over here looking at where the ball was, whatever it might be. It's still going to be problematic for referees. Do I think there's ever going to be, you know, love and appreciation and respect and grace for us? No, but I think it's great for uh, the spectating public. And I also think it's good as a, a referee, an aspiring referee who wants to do the best job possible to watch how referees manage the game. We both know how important that game management is, and it is really hard to get that type of insight into how they manage the game from just what we're currently getting now uh, in the broadcast package. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, you touched on it there. The, the, probably the, the top use for this would be to show to other referees to say, look, he, he or she, the referee, whoever's wearing the camera, gets into this position mm. and gets themselves this best possible angle oh. to, to capture rather than... Uh, and it can be used as a tool, okay, if the referee had been over here or over here, things would have been, looked, looked different and the referee would have had a better set of eyes on the incidents. And I think as a tool to train the next generation of referees, body-worn cameras in this broadcast sense, would be fantastic. Yeah, no, I a thousand percent agree. I had my first match back out on the pitch uh, this weekend, two matches. And I will tell you what really, uh, what I struggled with most was just positioning, was where am I supposed to be in this moment in time, given this scenario, so that I am in the best possible position to make a call here based on where my assistant referee is going to be and where I am going to be. I think the positioning the language, the communication, all of those things would be enhanced significantly if we had that type of access to those videos. That would be great. Definitely. And always, I mean, I think I, I champion this more than anyone else that will listen, uh, is that referees need constant developments, constant developments. Um, just, just because the game changes season to season to season. So if you miss out on one, say, uh, continually, what's a CPD continuing pre professional development training session in one season? There's a potential that you'll miss up on all those those updated laws, uh, the new best practices. I mean, even I, I got promoted from five to four in England over the the course of of last season and in, into this summer. Um, so even positioning now will be different for me because I've got neutral assistant referees on most games, if not all games. So. The old school, you know, five years, 10 years ago, there's like get get wide as possible, get deep as possible, check out all these positions. Whereas now, uh, I was told, you know, in the, in um, a training event, uh, there's a very much narrower scope for where the referee needs to be mm -hmm. to be able to see everything. Um, so yeah, whatever tools are out there, whatever people are out there to use those tools to impart knowledge, wisdom and experience onto the next generation, it needs to be done. Absolutely. I'm just laughing over here. You're like continuing professional development. Like, what is that? Because <laughs> here in the United States, not a lot of that, depending on which um, uh, state you're in. It's, it's as if your, your local FAs or, or local RAs in England, uh, we have 50 or 52 different uh, state referee associations here in the U.S. Some are fantastic. Florida, Southern California, Minnesota. Fantastic. But in the state of Georgia, we're in a rebuild right now. Um, and so there hasn't been a lot of continuing professional development. I would love to get that. Um, but certainly, you know, Ant, maybe you could be looking at some of those videos coming off of these referees, providing some of your analysis, your insight from going from level five to four, sharing it with us. I will eat it up, brother. Oh, I, there, there will. But then there's a lot of people that will, uh, on the opposite side, and I'm sure you've, you've noticed this as well, when you put up an opinion up on the internet, 
certain fan bases will um, pick that apart. If you make a decision that is against their team, for example, I remember one uh, a couple of seasons ago, um, it was Wolverhampton Wanderers here in the UK. And uh, it was a, for me, it was a nailed on penalty. I spoke to another, a couple mm-hmm. of referees on the podcast. Mm-hmm. They all agree. We all agreed in unison, mm-hmm. as referees generally do. Um, it was a penalty. Oh my goodness, the Wolves fan uh, fans that, that saw that video tore us apart and not just in terms of refereeing they were going after our, our physical presence our, our families where we were from in the UK what we'd ever done in our lives going through Instagram pulling up what they thought were embarrassing photos but secretly I loved um, so it it's one of those things where uh, while sharing opinions on the internet is great and it's something that we both do it also comes with the caveat that it's going to, it's going to upset a lot of people and uh, there's a lot of accounts that I see popping up now that try and emulate what yourself does what what I do mm-hmm. um and they don't last very long because as soon as they have a controversial opinion and they get that heavy negative backlash they think oh actually this isn't this isn't what I wanted at all I just wanted to share my opinions on on the, a sport a game that I loved and there is so much hatred out there just just because it's this tribal lizard brain fan reaction. It, it, it's a thing. So first and foremost, haters going to hate, trollers going to troll. It is what it is. I actually was not this past weekend, but the previous weekend, I was invited to speak at the National Association for Women's Gymnastics Judges. It's a thing. Uh, I didn't know it was a thing, but it's a thing. And they, I mean, they had close to a thousand, you know, judges up there. But they invited me specifically to deal with this issue, uh, where people are seeking out these judges online after big college events, uh, small events, you name it, whatnot, specifically to attack judges and their opinions. It is something. There's a number of reasons why people do it. Obviously, because they are trying to speak up for their child or their team, whatever it might be. But it's coming from an emotional place. It is not objective. It's not based on the laws of the game or the rules of the game. They want to do it to vent. They want to do it to make you feel as upset as they are. Uh, There's all sorts of reasons why they want to do it. They're they're lonely. I don't know. Uh, It's very important for every referee listening to this, whether you're putting an opinion out on social media proactively like Ant, you and I are, or someone seeks you out on social media, don't engage with them. If they're coming to you with hatred, they are not going to all of a sudden, you know, be like, oh, he's right. I'm wrong. (laughs) This is not how it works on social media. You know, it's usually hate first, you know, ask questions later and the questions usually never come. Uh, So I try and tell people don't engage in argument back and forth. If someone's being hateful, you know, you're going to report them, you're going to block it and then delete. If someone genuinely comes to a question, great. That's a person you should invest your time with. But if someone's coming to you with hate, you know, just delete and move on. God, that's such good advice. And I wish I'd listened to something like that years ago because I, (laughs) I quite do the opposite. I'm like, when someone has a go at me, I'm like, who do you think you are? If it wasn't for this this computer between us, if you was you were here in front of me, you would firstly not say what you're saying. Right. And secondly, not be able to say many more things after I take punitive action. <laughs> I mean, I work in security, so I'm used to if if there's a physical altercation, I I stop it from happening. But when it's a uh, a written confrontation, I, I Ah, oh, it just winds me up. I gotta, I have to engage. 
less so now, less so now. I've had a few wise words from yourself, from others that say it's top, top advice. Um, social media, don't engage with the hates because you will never win. You will never win. And you'll, what's the saying? They'll, they'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. So there were a couple things I got out of that conference. First off, they did have a policy uh, for social media use, which is pretty much don't use it, uh, which I think is a bit extreme in this day and age and was written by people who are much, much, much more mature in their 60s and 70s with social media. Wasn't a thing when they were growing up. So I don't think it's realistic. Uh, But they did have a line at the end of it, which was stay classy, not trashy, which I love. Love that one. Um, Number two, If I do have someone who seems upset, sometimes I'll just ask them a question. Well, why do you feel that way based on the laws of the game? And just immediately try and put them into a scenario where they actually have to reference the laws, which I know they can't. And that's a very simple one. So I ask a question. Um, I think those are good. And then the last one is I almost try and go into referee mode. (laughs) You know, if I'm on the pitch and someone is upset and yelling, I... Sometimes I've had referee uh, or coaches, I'm sorry, managers get really, really upset about a call and, and I'll go over and I'll be like, you know, why are you so upset? Help me understand why you're so upset. And it immediately diffuses the situation. They're like, well, I saw, and I'm like, okay, here's what I saw, you know. This I didn't see what you did, but here's what I saw, and this is the call I made. So I, I try and go into, um, you know, my referee mentality. I'm going to stay professional, stay classy, not trashy, uh, because again, even if you win with a troll, you're really not winning, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had people um, say to me they've they've gone down this long thread of <sighs> me having a go at someone standing up for referees, kind of yeah. trying to tell them off for being such a. a an idiot troll uh and at the end they said you know and you don't come out of this with with any you know good good looks either so although you may be morally justified in standing up for referees and and berating trolls there's no there's no good way to do it not at all so don't so don't don't do it and and i'm gonna i'm gonna take that stay classy not trashy i love that (laughs) and Before now, I think I've I've been the other way around. Like, <laughs> stay trashy, folks, not classy. <laughs> um, I love it. So just to move on, the Women's World Cup is in full flow at the moment, and we've seen a couple of instances where the referee has gone over to the VAR monitor and uh, have watched the, the video footage back and then announced to the stadium what the new decision is. It's, a, it's the first time we've seen this. It's the first time we've seen a referee announce a decision to a, a spectator audience. I don't think it works. I don't, we already, as referees, have ways of communicating the decisions that we've made. A free kick, a corner, throw in, whatever it may be. We don't need to tell people what our decision is. What I think people wanted, and I think what they hoped to see from this, this World Cup was transparency in the decision-making process. How did they, the referees get to this result? How did they make this decision? What was their thought process? But that isn't what's being transmitted. So they're still having this little secret, little chat with the, the VAR operator. What have you seen? Oh, I didn't see that. Show me the video. Okay, I see. What are your thoughts? Okay, recommend this. Okay, I'll announce that. And then all you hear is, yeah, it's offside, it's a free kick. And that's it. What what I think the, the paying audiences want to see is that that decision-making process do you think that would 
improve things? It's so funny you say that. So two, two things on this one. I think it's an improvement and a step in the right direction. Again, let's go back to previously when they weren't explaining what a call was at all. And they weren't saying, you know, the whether it was an offside or whether it was serious foul play or something, there was nothing at all. And someone just went to a booth, ran and made a mechanic. I, I, we have to appreciate that not everyone in the stadium possibly has a good view of that. You know, I'm talking about the people live at the actual event. Um, so that could be a thing. There's also some drama now that's created that when that person's voice comes on in the stadium, you know, they're they're saying what the decision is and there's quiet. And then all of a sudden there's like, ah, like really exciting. I think that's cool. And also for the broadcasters, a lot of times broadcasters don't know what the hell they're talking about and they make things up. They make things up as to what call was made or what they think was made. And it causes a lot of um, people to be upset and anxiety. Um, I do feel the same way as you and in some ways that I think it's not perfect. It's imperfect. I would love to hear the considerations. You know, we are taught as referees, they know what the considerations are. If you're a FIFA referee, you can say, you know, it is serious foul play based on, you know, the location of the contact, the speed they were coming in. I judged to be excessive force and brutality. It is a red card for serious foul play. They are absolutely qualified in saying that. Why can't they say that? I would love to know, you know, going back, if they're taking away a red card, originally, you know, I gave a red card for serious foul play. I now am judging it to be a yellow card for a reckless challenge based on X, Y, and Z. That would be wonderful. And that would clear up everything. I'm not sure why they don't want to go there. I mean, I'm assuming it's because they don't want to make a mistake and have someone parse their words afterwards. But sincerely, it would be very helpful if they did. Yeah, I think you're right there with that whole highlighting the mistake the more information you give it's like a, a courtroom isn't it the more information you give the more the lawyer for defense will be able to pick that apart and then afterwards say well you know that it shouldn't have been the, the decision that you came to and and it, it becomes i mean it's already a very sterile decision making process we're, we're very much within a very set framework of uh, if if X happens, then Y is the result. Uh, and it, uh, we as referees watching any game will know, uh, with a competent referee that also follows that framework, I have to add, um, <laughs> if they come to a certain decision, we will know why they've reached that decision. I think educating the masses of people that don't know the laws of the game would go a long way to help with that. Well, why is it, what's the referee given that for? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. If if everybody understood, there would be a lot more acceptance and empathy with with why referees make decisions, and a, and and off the back of that, a lot less abuse because of it. Certainly. Now, again, just like we talked about the earlier comment, not everyone wants to understand. <laughs> Most people are going to react emotionally. It has nothing to do with whether the call was right or wrong. It has everything to do with who they're rooting for and the tribalism that we talked about earlier. I mean, I, I, there, there are many reasons you talked about the court of law that the referee is, you know, in for lack of a better term. And then the chance for making a mistake goes up. You're a broadcast. So you want to get back to play as quick as possible. The last thing they want to do is add another 20 seconds to the stoppage. I, I think there's many, many reasons it would be really cleared up if, and I know they can't do this for in the stadium, but for us at home to open up the channel between the referee and the VAR, I, I, you want to completely open people's eyes. My gosh. I mean, here in the United States, 
they uh, the pro the professional referees organization they do a video every single week breaking down some of the most contentious calls and they show you the communication they show you the VAR screens they show you the communication of what the referee sees and what they're saying I oh my gosh is that a difficult job holy cow I mean to be a video assistant referee a good one obviously Mike Dean couldn't cut it no offense Mike Dean did a great job, great service for many years. But being a VAR ref, I mean, you're looking for some type of like gamer kid, you know, who can manage like six screens at one time and like 20 different video views. It is hard to do what they do. And there, I think there would be more empathy for um, what they're going through, what they're seeing and why they made a certain decision. I think you're absolutely spot on there. It's a different skill set to be a VAR. So why do we train referees to learn these new skills which are very specific and very sort of uh, niche to that system of control why do we not have the people that already know these systems that can that can go over these broadcast systems and and watch the like you say six ten eighteen however many camera angles that they've got teach them the laws. surely be easier to teach them the laws of the game than it would to be like like say we had Lee Mason, we had Mike Dean very recently, just halfway through, I not halfway through the season for Mike Dean, but he got to the point where it's like he was making mistakes on VAR, and I think it may have been the pressure of forgive this phrase, teaching an old dog new tricks in terms of right, you've been a referee your whole life, you've made it to this this elite level of refereeing. Now I need you to make this transition to an elite level of technological control with, with so many screens, with slow motion replay, with rewinding, with selecting different angles, and then apply that to your referee. And it feels like we've probably got that the wrong way around. It's tough. I mean, so there, there's both sides, right? It's the reason why you don't have Jamie Carragher <laughs> or someone <laughs> immediately go into being a referee after they finish their playing career and now broadcast career. It's because they've never applied the laws on the field. And so it's hard to do that just if you've only been doing it behind a TV screen or video monitor. So I appreciate that. But there may be a new career path that is cut out where instead of, okay, I've got to go up through the ranks, the pyramid to be an assistant referee or to be a, a center referee, there may be a point that they start looking for people who are younger, who are at that level four, level three, as they're moving on up or here in the United States, regional or national, and they've never gone pro, but they can go the path and be a video assistant referee because that's what they're cut out for. And that's what they're interested in. They're passionate and they're really great at it. They're exceptionally good at doing that work. It is a whole different skill set. It's a different way of thinking. It is extreme pressure. And to be able to see something on a screen versus experience something when you're on the pitch are two completely different worlds. So I have all the empathy in the world for those who have been a, a, you know at the top level and then have struggled to try and be a VAR. It's a completely different thing. Yeah, and it's completely understandable. And they have, uh, just as uh, referees have empathy from fellow, fellow referees on getting decisions on the field, right? They have my empathy for getting decisions in VAR, right? Because I know, I know from editing videos how much of a pain like multiple monitors and scrubbing through footage can be. And I've done it for like a decade. <laughs> so. Uh, for these guys to come in and, and, and do it, it's, it's very, very tough. Yeah, I mean, everyone thinks, oh, they've got three minutes. No, 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 no. They've got about 10 to 15 seconds. 
10 to 15 seconds before it's either restarted as a goal kick, restarted as a corner kick, you say, I've got something. Hold up. Wait right here. Because we don't want the game to stop. We want that game to keep on moving. We want it flowing. So they have to see something and be convinced. Can you imagine if the VAR, after every single play, every ball that went out of bounds, you know, on the goal line for a corner or or goal kick, or there was any action around the penalty area, they stopped the play. Hey, I need a couple minutes to watch this. We would hate that. It would be awful. So they have 10 to 15 seconds to make a very informed decision. Do I have something or do I not to check it? And it is high pressure and they're looking at 20 different camera angles and man, they better get it right. It is. It would be death for them to two or three times in a game, stop the play and call a referee over to view something. I mean, they'd be fired. I mean, the pressure is so intense. Can we just talk? I, I know the next thing we're going to talk about was referee accountability. Uh, that is something that everyone's like, we need to hold the ref accountable. We need to hold the ref accountable. Do you guys think that refs are not held accountable? Every single match these guys do, whether it's the center referee, whether it's the assistant referee, whether it's the video assistant referee, they are being judged by a jury of their peers. And then some, they are getting six page reports. Every single decision is being questioned. They're losing assignments. They're being demoted. They could be fired from their jobs every single time they step on the pitch. And I know the general public doesn't see that side of it, but referee accountability, are you kidding? Referees and assessors are some of the most critical people you will ever, ever meet, man. (laughs) I mean, my gosh, I just wish more people had some appreciation for the pressure they're under and the level of accountability that they do experience week in, week out. Yeah, let, well, let's stick with accountability and I'll give you some insights into um, what, what uh, some of my my friends and, and members of my local referees association have told me. There's a, a system uh, that the PGMOL use called, I think it's called Referee 360 or Ref 360 or something like that. And Every single decision that a referee makes, whether that's signaling a throw-in or a goal kick, corner kick, whatever, over the course of 90 minutes, it's something like it can be up to about 360 decisions a game. I guess that's why they call it Ref360. <laughs> um, there's a lot of decisions and every single one is looked back on and an observer or an assessor or whoever will look at it and say, yeah, you've got that right or wrong. Now, obviously, most of the decisions that a referee will make over the course of a game are correct. Um, Peter Banks was talking at an end-of-season event last last season here in Liverpool, and he said, without VAR, the accuracy of a match official is around the low 90%. Okay, so it'll never be 100%, but with VAR, that number goes up to around 96 97%. Can you imagine what the player would look like if everything he or she did on the pitch was 97% correct? If 97% of their passes made it to their, their teammate, if 97% of the shots they took ended up in the back of the net... The, the standard of referees uh, is, is higher than it's ever been. But the, I think the, the appreciation for referees and what they do is lower than it's ever been. And I can't understand this disconnect other than social media, tribalism, and lizard brains. Absolutely. I, a thousand percent. First off, the 360, 360 degree view, like full holistic views. So that's probably where the 360 comes from. Although I know they make close to 300 decisions a game. I, I'm with you there. But yes, it is social media. 
I mean, let's just say it like it is all of the hatred, because uh, even if you're talking about what might be written in a paper, you know, an upstanding paper like The Guardian, you know, or Independent or something of nature in England or a major periodical here in the U.S., their news cycle is driven by social media. They've got to get clicks from social media to their websites. It's all about social media. So people are generally, as we said, nastier. Uh, people are not thought about as humans you know, on social media, when we talk about someone else. And when we act, we are not as humane as we should be as if we were in public. So that's a thing. But yes, it is so bad right now because it gets clicks. It drives conversation. You know, there's a victim. People feel like they've been abused, you know, as we've been cheated. It's And there's a person's face you can put to it. And it's so easy to put that referee's Face. I mean, let's let's all we have to do is look back at Anthony Taylor at the yeah, yeah. Europa League final. I mean, objectively, the man did a great job. Yes, are there key match decisions that could have gone one way or the other? Certainly, but when you look at the laws game, did a great job. But oh my gosh, vilified. I mean, terrorized family, terrorized. You know, in person, online, awful behavior. It is so easy to attack the referee. Because again, we can't fight back. It's easy to bully us and it's so easy to second guess our decisions. But man, it's a hard job and they get so many things right. Yeah, I know the referees have been attacked in, in well, not attacked, but, but you know, vilified and, and people have seen them in the street and, and shouted out them. Per Luigi Colina wrote in his book how that would happen, especially in, in Italy after very contentious matches. But I do think that the, the attacking of Anthony Taylor in that airport is a manifestation of the trolls on the internet bringing to life what they would tweet and and you know Jose Mourinho was at the center of that and like you say these news cycles that that need these one-liners or these quotes or something to drive this to they constantly want to fuel emotion rather than logic because if it was all logical if it was like Sky Sports News here if it was reporting news and clearing up facts it would say, it would it would quote the laws of the game and say okay the referee did a great job here here is a, a fellow referee to explain the laws of the game but what they actually do is here's a fellow referee he agrees with the thing that you disagree about you can hate him as well get on social media and write some comments and that perpetuates this cycle of the pantomime that is the referee is the villain. The team that you support are all the heroes, uh, and the team that you're against, uh, they're like the un, you know they, they they're going to try and stop you from winning. They're the obstacle the, for your protagonist. Um, it's it's crazy, but it, we you know this is what what we've created. This is uh, when when sport stops becoming sport and becomes entertainment. This is where we are. Uh, I, I suppose we're moving more towards football becoming professional wrestling than it is towards becoming the Olympics, the, the pureness of sport and competition, which is sad. I, listen, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, there's plenty of uh, issues that are contentious in the Olympics as well, in the Olympic sports. There's no doubt, especially when it comes to anything that needs to be judged. Anything that needs to be judged. I mean, yes, in track and field, it's more about, you know, was that person doping? Were they not doping or something in nature? But it's a stopwatch that determines whether they win or lose. But whether it's figure skating or gymnastics or something that requires subjective decision making to apply the laws of the game or the rules of the sport, there's always going to be people who want to question it, who want to make news about it. 
I completely appreciate it. But we have the game, the beautiful game, that subjectivity and the fact that it's difficult and hard and there are mistakes and there are tons of missed shots and there are ridiculous saves that shouldn't be saved. I mean, that that's the beauty of what it is. And that's what pulls us in and has us coming back for more. Well, speaking of judgments, I think that's a good segue into this next one, is how certain countries are trialing judging offside after a suggestion by Arsene Wenger, the former Arsenal manager, um, that the there should be daylights. Now, this there's this whole thing, I don't know if you see it on social media, about daylight. You should, the assistant referee should see daylight between players before... There be that was never a rule. That was never in the laws of the game. It was some weird. I guess, I guess someone's heard it down the pub and they've gone. Well, there was no daylight. It shouldn't have been offside. And someone's gone. Oh yeah, that sounds about right. Um, but now, the daylight rule has been actually brought in and trialed. I think in Sweden, New Zealand, and and somewhere else. So they they're giving it a go. And I'm not sure that they've thought about grassroots referees when they're, they're bringing this in. It's, it's a lot easier to see if someone's broken past someone than if someone is just trailing a body part that hasn't broken past someone. And all they've done really, essentially, by suggesting this, is shifting the line about where offside is judged. Is it a millimetre this side now? Is it a millimetre that side? It's still going to be down to the millimetre. It's still going to be tough to do, uh, but... It's it's a trial. For me, I think it's a waste of time. I don't think this trial is going to go anywhere. Well, I totally appreciate where it was coming from. Like it was this whole conversation about, is it truly an advantage if your toe is beyond the last defender's heel and the rest of your body is behind that defender? So I think that's where it was coming from, is to really make it seem that they've truly gotten an advantage. But Ant, as we know, they never think about the grassroots official <laughs> when they're making these laws. I can't even begin to try and think about how I would apply this as an assistant referee running on the touchline, okay, and trying to figure out, oh, he did have his, his, his trail foot was just, you know, one millimeter past the defender. So he's, you know, in an offside position or his toe was still one centimeter, you know, on the other side of the other player's foot. Oh, he's onside. Can you imagine? I mean, already it's so difficult with spectators sitting behind you as an assistant referee or anyone watching a match trying to decide if they're onside or offside, but now it is going to get so much harder. At least when I'm working as an assistant referee today and I am on that second to last defender, I can look across you know, I've got my angle. Okay, I see none of the defender there. I'm good. He's onside. Now it is going to be so much more gray as to, well, were they, you know, truly 100% past that defender? Did they trail, you know, a little bit of a shoulder or a leg behind them when the ball was played? My gosh, man, it is going to be so hard. I appreciate why they did it, you know, with their automated offside technology coming and all of their cameras and lines. Yeah, I think in the pros they might get away, but it's still going to be a game of millimeters. For anyone who thinks that we've gotten away from splitting hairs as to is someone onside or offside with this new law change they're trialing, they are kidding themselves. It is still going to be in the VAR booth looking at you know all of the angles and every player and splitting millimeters to determine if someone was onside or offside. That did not end with this law change. 
Absolutely. And what's going to be the hardest part, I think, is for the, the match officials that have been running the lines for years is to relearn what offside looks like. Because instinctually, if you're watching a game casually, nine times out of ten, you can call a correct offside from no matter where you are watching it. Because you your, your brain is just, you've kind of got those moving pieces in your mind. You take a snapshot and you're like, yep, that was offside. And most of the time you'll be right because you're, you've been looking for it so much throughout your career but now you're like oh like you say was was the trailing thought i mean it does, does it allow for more margin of error for your grassroots referee probably you can say oh yeah his trailing foot was just you're still touching that player it's fine don't worry about it but you're still going to get the same amount of abuse that you would have afterwards it's not clearing anything up it's just making everything that the gray area is getting more gray the, the black and white is getting further and further away it's well very, now very difficult so not only is it rough for the the assistant referee but how about the defender so you are the center back and you used to be able to see okay i've got him you know he he's He's, I, I've got him onside, or if I step up a little, I know he's offside. Now it's going to be impossible to know if he's on or offside because he could just literally be sticking his leg out behind the attacker, sticking his leg out, you know, even though he's completely behind the center back. And the center back's got no idea if he's on or off. So it is going to drive them nuts. They're constantly going to be thinking, oh, he's in an offside position when he's actually in an onside position. So I think the amount of abuse and frustration is only going to grow at the grassroots le level as a result of this change. Uh, do I think it, it it's more fitting with the spirit of the law? Possibly, but it makes the law much harder to apply. Do you know what? I've just had this thought as well. Can you imagine the weird body positions that attackers are going to put themselves in? They're going to look, going back to the Olympics again, they're going to be like sprinters leaving one leg out as far back as they can, hopping forward just to anticipate this ball being played to them. It's going to make, it's going to make for some weird, weird footage. <laughs> yes. Agreed. A thousand and, and, and bring it on because that, that is going to be the funniest part of the trial is Everyone's looking for these advantages within the laws of the game. Do what they can. Um, but but that weird like leg out, shoulders back sort of thing, trying to stay on side. I look forward to whatever they can come up with to, to stay on side. But speaking of um, players doing what they can within the laws of the game to get those, those advantages and get as many goals as they can. So... I've mentioned before, my wife, uh, my wife's cousin uh, is a professional footballer, plays for Coventry City. Last season, he dived. He dived in the penalty area and Coventry were awarded a penalty. Uh, they, they scored the penalty. They won the game. He was later on banned for two games retrospectively for, for making that dive. Now, that's the only person and the only time I've seen someone retrospectively banned for diving and winning a penalty, which which was scored. Why don't we see it more often? And why was he the only one that season? That I mean, have you ever heard of a player getting banned for diving afterwards? Well, it, so Bruno Fernandez has entered the chat. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, I would never be able to play a game of professional football again. And, and, and I, I'm a Man U fan, admittedly. So it's it's just, yeah, it's it's a thing. Um, but there was a woman in the WSL, in the Women's uh, Super League, I believe, in England, who feigned uh, like a punch to the face. Like she was down, another player kind of pushed up on her chest and retroactively 
they took away the red card for the woman who did not hit her in the face and the woman who did hold her face and writhe around in pain actually did wind up getting suspended for a game. Oh. So it has happened. I think it has just been so rarely enforced. It could be enforced so much more. But I, I always say in my videos, simulation is one of the hardest calls to make on the pitch. It is so hard because you have to be so sure that there was no contact because you know, I mean, you're out there. If someone's running on pace, a little bit of contact can send someone flying, you know, just push them a little bit off a little bit of a trip, a little bit of a clip to the heel. Whatnot can make someone fall down. We saw it too on Di Maria in the world cup final uh, uh, last year for the first penalty of the game. It's a little bit of a clip can make someone go. So it's really hard to call during the game. Um, you know, after the match, you know, should we be going back and, giving people, uh, you know, match suspensions. I think it's within the spirit of the game, but man, holy cow, there would be a lot of suspensions coming out based on how players roll around and feign injuries and fouls like they do today. It would have to be a, a complete culture shift. Um, it would be it would be massive for the game. I think it would be positive for the game, no doubt, but wow, it'd be really hard to enforce. Yeah, it'd be positive for the sport. If we go back to sport versus entertainment again, People want to be entertained and they're entertained most by the theatrics, by the diving, by the, it's, you know, it's the gladiators of old who would um, make, make as much of a spectacle before killing the lion, so to speak. Whereas, um, you know, the, 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 the pureness of sport and not, not, I mean, if you're going to book someone for simulation, that's you as a referee saying you're a cheat. Yes. And you're giving them a yellow card. If it was the other way around, obviously if, if the referee was called a cheat, don't, don't call me that. It's a red card. How dare you? Um, but but why would I cheat? I'm not bothered who wins or loses, especially when it's the under eight local teams. <laughs> why? But then the, again, lizard brain. The supporters seem to think that that even it's important to them that their little Johnny for the under eights, you know, local team, their team wins, and that referee. Oh, you would have won if it wasn't for him scoring ten goals against you. <laughs> but. We go back to entertainment versus sport. Uh, it would be good for the sports, for the purists that want to see no cheating, the better team winning purely on their skill and technical ability versus winning by being theatrical and making the most of no contact or looking like there was contact or minimal contact. And then, and then to, to ban players for doing that, the ones who are theatrical are the ones that usually cost a lot more money than the ones who are technically gifted and, and athletic. Yeah. Can we be transparent for a second, Ant? So how many times in your career, and I'm just going to openly admit that this has happened to me, where someone plays through contact, they don't want to go down, right? They've been, they've had someone make contact in the penalty area. You know, someone has kicked out, maybe it's hit their shin, but they didn't go down. They continue on and they try and score. And you didn't award a penalty or there's been a little bit of a, of a pull or a tug, whatnot, and they played through it. They were trying to play through. But the player who does get that contact and goes down gets rewarded yeah. with a penalty kick or gets rewarded with an attacking free kick in a great position. The incentives for going down theatrically and making it look more than it is are there. And so we can get all upset about, oh, they're going down with theatrics. But if they don't, they may not get the call. And so that's why they do it. It's how the sport is set up. Is it 
positively reinforces players who go down light and make a big deal of a potential contact in and around the penalty area. So before we start coming down so hard on the players for playing up the contact, maybe we need to look at why do they do it and possibly change some things there. Yeah, it's the risk versus reward model, isn't yep. it? You you are, like you say, you are rewarded with a very, very positive thing. You're punished with the yellow card. Fine, I can play with the yellow card. Right. I just won't do it again. So the, the risk of getting a yellow card versus the reward of getting a penalty and a goal massively, massively skewed towards the positive outcome in the goal rather than the punishment. So you're absolutely right. And maybe retroactively, Banning players who do clearly commit acts of simulation is the way to go. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think it's going to be difficult to enforce. Um, I understand why it happens. It will just be a challenge. And again, it's one thing at the professional level where you've got 20 different views on the pitch. Um, really hard, again, at the grassroots level to be able to enforce. I mean, how many cards for simulation have you given out in your career? I mean, I think I've given out three in yeah, 1100 message matches. It's, it's, it's not many. It's not many at all. Yeah, it's it's really difficult. I mean, I, I've said to players, you need to be stronger there, you know, get up. Uh, and I've said, now nah, nothing there or something in nature. But to actually call out a simulation, I mean, someone has to do something so ridiculous. Go back to the Olympic gymnastics again. <laughs> like this ridiculous, like summer thought, like they're performing like as a stunt person in a movie or something in nature. Ah, you know, okay, you, you've earned yourself a yellow card. But outside of that, <laughs> it, it, it's never done. So it's a, it's a real challenge. I don't deny it's a problem. I'm not sure I have a solution. Well, and on that, we've kind of run out of time. It's flown by. We've covered so much stuff, um, but and uh, there's so much left untouched as well. We will have to do this again. Before we wrap this up, uh, Gerson, where can people find you on, on socials? They can find me at refsneedlove2.com on my website. So I've got a podcast as well and a blog there. I've also got lots of cool merch. And then my most active channel is... TikTok at Refs Need Love 2. And there's the coin, baby. What's up? Yep. What is up? I know. I, it's just so much fun. I mean, Ant, can I just give a little shout out for uh, your coin as well that inspired me uh, to make my own? But yes, that's where people can find me. Come join the conversation. Uh, we're having fun every single day. Well, I, I want to say thanks very much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Let's not leave it to the next World Cup before having sure. another one of these. Let's make it more regular. Um, so from, from myself uh, and from the Referee Forum, from Refs, the Final Whistle podcast, thanks very much, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.